0: Uh, if you knew the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, you may have got a hint as to where we are going together this morning. On many occasions in the life yeah. of Jesus, it the is. Pharisees tried to trip him up. And particularly, they try and trip Jesus up so that he would fall foul of the Roman law and thereby there would be reason for Herod in particular to have Jesus arrested. So on one occasion, these uh, scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders came to Jesus and said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This was a controversial question because nobody liked paying taxes to the Roman emperor empire especially because they were often ripped off and were made to pay more than was the fair due. But Jesus saw through them and he knew what they were getting at. And so he responded, saying, you are hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, show me a coin that's used to pay the tax to the Roman Empire. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. What a great answer. What do you suppose the answer was to the part of that statement, give to God what belongs to God. They all knew what should be rendered to the Roman Empire as the levied tax, but I wonder what the answer would be to the other question, give to God what belongs to God. Now, throughout the Bible, the number 10 is very often a reference to something that is challenging. Now let me give you some examples just so that you understand where I'm going. Remember that Moses brought 10 plagues upon Egypt so that the people of Israel could then be released from their slavery. Every plague was a challenge to Pharaoh to let God's people go. Then when the people of Israel were free from Egypt and they were journeying through the wilderness. God gave them 10 commandments. I wonder if you know the 10 commandments off by heart, but you will agree with me. They are a challenge to live up to. They're the best set of rules that man has. You don't need any other rules beside them, but they are a challenge. And then in the book of Ruth, we read of a lady called Naomi. Her nation faced famine, and so she went to another land to survive the famine. And the Bible says, after 10 years, both her husband or her husband and both her sons died. And then, when we go into the book of Daniel, we read about the people of Israel. They were taken into captivity, and some of the choicest young men were taken into the king's court in order to be trained to serve the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar for one. And they were offered the king's food, which would have involved wine, but also meat that had been offered to idols. And Daniel and his three friends said, no, we're not gonna eat any of that. We're not gonna contaminate ourselves. Test us for 10 days and see if we're just as healthy as everybody else. And they had vegetables for 10 days and they were healthier than all the others that were feeding on the sumptuous food from the king's table. And then if we go into the New Testament, do you remember that there were 10 wise and 10 foolish bridesmaids? They had the challenge of keeping their lamps burning throughout the night. Five ran out of oil, but five had taken extra. And then also there's the woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. And she had the challenge of searching and searching until she found it. Then there were 10 lepers that came to Jesus for healing and they were all healed. The challenge was would they come back and say thank you there was only one who came back and gave thanks to Jesus and then finally there were well there were 10 servants who were trusted with 10 coins 10 talents and the master went away and they had to trade with them and then in the book of Revelation there is the church of Smyrna where it says they would be tested or persecuted for 10 days so when you go through the Bible the number 10 always speaks of challenge Or testing. There's another famous address in London called number 10. Um, I don't think I'd like to live there. That's a very challenging job that the Prime Minister has, and any Prime Minister has, living and working out of number 10 Downing Street. But of course also the number 10 is associated throughout the Bible with the word tithe, because tithe literally means 10th. And tithing in the scripture, and also today, is always a challenge that we must rise to. It is often a subject that we don't find easy to put into practice because it challenges our attitude towards money. We were thinking last week about the grace of giving and having a right attitude, And tithing throughout the scripture always challenges our attitude towards money. Now, some people think that tithing was a part of the Old Testament, so it no longer applies to us today, because we are under God's new covenant, his covenant of grace, and so this no longer applies as a principle to our giving. But actually, we need to remember that the principle of tithing came before the law was given through Moses. Because Abraham tithed back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. He practiced it way before the law was ever given. And if you read in Genesis 14, it says, After Abraham returned from defeating Law Umar and the um, allied kings with him, the, kings of Sodom came, the king of Sodom came to meet him in the valley of Sheba, which is the valley of the kings, Then Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered you from the hands of your enemies. Then Abraham gave him a 10th of everything. That's an interesting scripture. But of course, tithing was subsequently regulated through Moses as a part of the law, and he instructed the people in Deuteronomy 14, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest every year. You see, their crops was their main form of currency in those Old Testament biblical times. But many years later, When the people of Israel wanted a king so that they would be just like the other nations around about them, Samuel, who was a judge and who was leading the people of Israel at that time, he warned them that if they had a king, that the king will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, When we go into the New Testament, people often say there is hardly any mention in the New Testament of the principle of tithing. Why? Because it was so ingrained in their thinking and in their culture and in their understanding that it wasn't needed to be taught or re-emphasized. However, Jesus on one occasion confronted the religious leaders over their hypocrisy, saying this in Matthew 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? You are hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, like justice, mercy and faith. Jesus said you should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So why is it often in Christian circles that tithing, whilst it's important, can often be a touchy subject? That's a thoughtful question, isn't it? I remember a number of years ago, Janice and I felt that we'd like to join a a health club, So we went to different ones in Southampton, John Lloyd and different people and and they wanted an arm and a leg. But we found this one that was very nice in a hotel because all we wanted to do was basically swim and use a little bit of fitness equipment. And they told us how much it would cost per annum. And you know, we paid it without any question. I didn't actually think, well, and say to them well do you mind if I just make a contribution each week I'll just put in a box what I feel is appropriate no I didn't dare say that we agreed the fee that they wanted for us to be members of the health club we all do that if you're a member of a gym if you're a member of a fitness club if you're a member of a great football team like Southampton or Arsenal or whatever it is You will pay a fee to be a member and to attend the home matches and to have your own seat. We don't question it. We don't think there's anything wrong with it. We abide by the rules. But often as Christians, when it comes to tithing, we struggle. Now, Andy read to us from the book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet who lived 500 years before Jesus came and walked on the earth. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and then there are some 400 plus years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, which introduces the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. So some 500 years before Jesus came, Malachi lived, and at that time the people of Israel were returning from captivity in Babylon to their homeland they were setting up their community on their terms rather than God's. They were offering God second-class offerings. In other words, they were saying, well, we've got a perfect lamb here, we'll sacrifice that, and then they quickly substitute it for a lamb that was a bit sick and ailing, and so giving God second best. They were saying that evil people were actually good in God's sight, so it didn't matter how much sin or how much wrongdoing you did. You're good people in God's sight. They were dishonoring their wives by being disloyal and getting divorced, and they were robbing God by failing to tithe. So Malachi, the prophet, he's raised up to warn them and to try and correct their sinful behavior. Now remember, number 10 throughout the Bible Speaks of challenge, and I want to apply this to the verses that Andy read to us, particularly Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. If you've got your Bible, you might like to look at it. There's a few things there that are a challenge that we need to rise to, and the Bible makes it very clear in these verses in Malachi. First of all, there is the challenge of alienation. The challenge of alienation, you know, the word alien something that's a long way away, something that has a distance between you. Well, alienation is about having a distance between you and someone else. In verse nine of Malachi chapter three, God says, you are under a curse for cheating and robbing me. This is a serious charge and it reveals how God feels about us when we keep what actually belongs to him. If a friend of yours broke into your house one night and took a lot of your possessions, and then you found out it was your friend, you would not be on friendly terms with that person, would you? In fact, you would become alienated from them for very good reason because it's the last thing you would expect a friend to do. Have you ever thought that by not tithing, we alienate ourselves from God? Because that's what the prophet is warning them of here. Because you have not tithed, you're under a curse. You're in a different position in terms of your relationship with God. Jesus, on one occasion, noted how God's temple was being used for a car boot sale. And that was read to us by Leah this morning. And in anger, Jesus says, My Father's house is a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. It's that word, thieving, stealing, robbing again. And they were setting up their stalls in the temple courts And they were buying and selling, and they were on the make, rather than recognizing that God's house was for prayer and dedication and honoring of the Lord. They were using it for a trading place. Then, noting later how they gave their offerings, Jesus saw a widow who dropped two coins in the offering box that was there in the temple, and Jesus watched the rich people coming and sort of giving a tip, just tossing in a bit of odd change that they happened to have in their pockets. And Jesus observed and said, this poor widow has given more than all the others, for she gave everything she had to live on. Jesus said earlier, render to God or give to God what belongs to God. The fact is, everything belongs to God. And this woman gave all that she had because she knew it wasn't hers, it was God's. Where the rich people kept a lot back, thinking that's mine, I'll give a little bit to God. This woman was grateful and blessed while the rich were miserly and cursed. And we have to recognize that we either live under blessing or curse. There's no middle position. Obedience is always the way to the blessing of god so we need to remember that here we've got the challenge of alienation but then there is also the challenge of invitation because in verses 10 and 11 of malachi 3 god says put me to the test your crops will be abundant did you know this is the only place in the bible where god invites us to test him nowhere else are we invited to do that i want to read you a story of um A couple of people. Are any of you old enough to remember a cookery program called The Galloping Gourmet? (laughs) Yeah, some of you remember it. Okay. He was one of the early TV chefs. Well, Graham and Trina Kerr were wealthy and famous when they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. You'll probably remember Graham from the TV program, The Galloping gourmet. That was Graham Kerr. When they came to know Jesus as their saviour, God told them to give away everything, and they did. Millions of dollars. They were like the biblical rich young rulers, and instead of going away sad, they gave all that they had to the cause and the good of other people. What was surprising was the criticism they received from Christians because of their obedience. Some charged them with not being good stewards. They said they should have invested the money so they could have made more and more. Such responses show where people's values really lie. Like the disciples, when the woman came with that expensive alabaster jar of perfume and broke it over the feet of Jesus in an act of worship and devotion, and the disciples said, this should have been sold and the money given to the poor. This was an amazing story and testimony of this famous couple. The Galloping Gourmet is still alive, he's about 86 years of age now, but a remarkable story where they gave everything away and God still continued to bless them. You see, this is the challenge of invitation. God says, if you put me first, if you honor me, you'll be amazed at what I can do for you. The challenge is that it takes faith to trust God with our finances. But has God ever let you down? Come on, answer that question. Has God ever let you down? Has God ever failed you? Has God never come up with meeting your needs of course not but I've often heard people say well you know I can't afford to tithe I've got this bill and that bill and I've got this to pay and that to pay do you know the fact of the matter is if you want to live under God's blessing you cannot afford not to tithe Janice is just going to read a story of uh, a lady called uh, Bertha Adams just listen to this amazing story
1: This story comes from America. At her death on March the 30th, 1975, most people assumed that Bertha Adams was poor. An autopsy revealed she had severe malnutrition and evidences of poverty were abundant in her disheveled apartment. Lack of heat, lack of food, lack of the basic necessities of life. There could only be one conclusion. Bertha Adams was an obvious example of one who was missed by the national safety net of social spending. But then, while taking inventory of her personal effects, authorities found two keys. Trusting a hunch, they took the keys to a neighbourhood bank and they found her safety deposit box stuffed with $799,000 in cash. Also crammed into that box were hundreds of valuable and negotiable stock certificates, bonds and other securities. Bertha Adams had a stewardship problem because she viewed possessions as something to be hoarded. She didn't understand that the blessings of life were given to her to be used and invested rather than to keep. Bertha did not understand that the purpose of life was to manage her resources, not selfishly to hold on to them. God has given us things in this life not to hoard, but to manage for his glory. One of the titles of the name Christian in the New Testament is the term steward. The Greek word oikonomos, which is steward, is a compound word derived from the term for house, oikos, and the verb to arrange, which is nemo. The word oikonomos was a servant designated as the manager of a household, estate, or other affairs of his master. So each Christian is a steward of all the resources God has given us, including our time, our talent, and treasure. So a good steward will manage his or her time, talent and treasure for the glory of God. But like Bertha Adams, there are many Christians who have misunderstood stewardship and they're poor managers of the resources of God under our control. So if we are confused and frustrated in our stewardship of financial resources, it might be because we see them primarily as permanent personal assets that someone, i.e. the tax collector, the bill collector, the greedy, or even those who solicit donations for worthy causes, is trying to take away from us. Stewardship is the management of God's resources.
0: Brilliant, love that. Stewardship is the management of God's resources. I hope that none of you are a Bertha Adams (laughs) hoarding stuff away and then it gets left after you're gone and somebody has a big shock. Because that's not what life is all about. That's not what good stewardship is all about. The church in Corinth, they were an excellent church. And Paul commended them for being excellent. And he said this. He said, you excel in many ways. You excel in your faith. You excel with gifted speakers. You excel in your knowledge. You excel in your enthusiasm. You excel in your love for us but i want you also to excel in the gracious act of giving i'm not commanding you to do this but i'm testing how your how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches you know the generous grace of our lord jesus christ though he was rich yet for your sakes became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Do you know, you are richer than the richest millionaire, because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. We have wealth that literally is out of this world because of the gracious gift of God's love in Jesus Christ. And Janice and I, in our own lives, we have never found God has ever failed us. We have always tithed we grew up with it as a principle and when we married and began serving the Lord we said we are always going to give God one-tenth of our income first and foremost but you know in the very early days of our ministry it was hard. We were very very poor. We had very little to live on and it was tough but we always decided God we're going to give you a tenth first and when you did the maths when you added up the figures, there was not enough to meet the rest of the bills. But I want to tell you, God had never, has never, ever failed us. And one of the wonderful stories that we had in our lives in the early years of our ministry was what was called the box. It was a wonderful story because we had uh, three children that were growing up, but we didn't have surplus money to go and buy them extra shoes when they wore them out. Children never wear their shoes out, they grow them out, don't they? And we struggled. And even clothes, um, we just struggled. But every month we received a box of clothes. There was a Christian lady that worked for a shop in London that was called CNA. Do you remember CNA store? And every month they would have a clear out of stuff they couldn't sell and this lady would give a box of clothes to my parents and they would transport it down and do you know time and time again we would open the box our children used to be excited when the box arrived what's in it and it would be opened up and inside would be clothes that would fit our children often clothes that we were needing right at that time and even clothes for Janice's Janice and myself it was amazing and that went on for years God faithfully providing for us. You see, when you tithe, you don't automatically get it back in kind. God provides in all manner of other ways and makes sure that you have all your needs met. This is the challenge of God's invitation. He says, put ye to the test. Prove me. If you honor me with your finance, if you tithe, you find out the wonderful ways in which I will meet your need." So here in Malachi, we've got the challenge of alienation, because if we rob God, we're alienated from him. We've got the challenge of invitation to prove him. But also, finally, we've got the challenge of God's provision, because it says in verse 10 of Malachi 3, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not have room enough to take it in. You see, in the Old Testament times, tithes were brought into the temple, not only in money, but also in terms of grain and fruit, etc. And then they were distributed so that everybody had their needs met. God promised this through Malachi. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail. From the vine before, will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. You see, when you tithe, you will never be in want. The blessing of God ensures that you are provided with all that you need. God is a generous God, and we can never outgive God. He will be faithful and he will meet all of our needs according to his riches that are ours through Jesus Christ. Proverbs tells us this, honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, you don't have barns, you don't have vats. But there are other ways that are equivalent in which God will provide and meet all our needs. So the challenge of number 10, the challenge of tithing is clearly seen in the scriptures. It's one that we have to rise to. And when we do, God blesses and provides in wonderful ways.